Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Be introducing our speaker, which is Monique Masso. So Monique Masso was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. Born to teenage parents struggling with shame and drug addiction, bitterness, betrayal, and rejection, her stage was set for a lifetime of difficulty and failure. But instead, Monique was transformed by God's powerful grace. Hers is a joyful story of rescue and deliverance. Small graces turned into healing and transformation, and Monique was freed from crippling illness, anxiety, resentment, and rage after she met a community of prayer group women who told her about Jesus. Monique will share her experiences of how living a new life and learning how to say yes to Jesus led to unexpected miracles. Over 30 years in corporate America, serving in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal and working for the Archdiocese in New York, and now serving Magnificat with the Regional Communication Service Team. Monique knows that nothing is impossible for God because he makes all things new. It's my pleasure to introduce Monique Rousseau. Well, thank you for that beautiful prayer. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so happy to finally understand where I fit on that timeline. When I saw that, I said, wow, 1960 was a really good year. Because that's, well, really the year before that is when my young teenage mom followed her boyfriend of her dreams, her Prince Charming, and ran off, defied the grandparents and the parents, and said, I'm getting married. And it was beautiful for a little while. That's their story, though. I'll fast forward a little bit to my story, because stories kind of interweave. You know how that goes. But I don't want to tell someone else's tale, so I'll start with my little story a few years later. When I was headed to college, I had one friend left over from middle school. And why only one friend was because I was so quiet. People said, does that girl ever talk? And the one girl who liked me used to say to me, do you ever have anything to say? And I used to say, no, I actually have nothing to say. But she was very nice. I liked being with her, and I stayed friends with her all through college because her and her mother were prayer ladies. And whenever I would go to their house, I was always very surprised. What a nice environment. No one was screaming. No one was hitting. There was no things being thrown around. There was no cursing. It was peaceful. Okay, they were a little weird because they always talked about this guy, Jesus, and how they were so in love with him. And I thought they might be a cult, but I still stayed with them because they were so nice. And you know how they say faith comes by hearing? Well, for me, it went one in ear and out the other. Everything they said made me a little antagonistic. So these kind, peaceful, loving people welcome me into their home, and I snip and bite at them all the time. And why? I feel like I'm trying to prove them wrong, but I really, really want to prove them right about this Jesus, their hero, their savior, this one. But I kind of ignore it going off to college until I get sick. I'm in college, and I get colitis. And I'm really worried, and I'm really scared. And it's kind of an ugly stomach thing happening there. And I didn't know what to do, but I had doctor appointments lined up. And my peaceful friend said, oh, no, no, you can't do that until you come to the Catholic Church, and we are going to have you blessed and prayed over. And she would not take no. She really would not take no. But I wouldn't say yes till the very last minute. I go down to that Catholic church. It's in a church hall. I walk down the steps, and everyone there didn't look like me. I was a disco doll, big hair, sparkly. You know how it goes. You're too young. You don't know. All right. 
But once it was the thing, okay? You see the sparkly bracelet? That was my whole top. But fashions change, but let me get back to the story. So I get down there, and this beautiful lady says to me after their praise and worship, oh, we knew you were coming. We've been waiting for you. We've been praying and fasting, and God has a message for you. And while they're praying over me, I'm thinking, how did God know I'm coming? I didn't know I was coming. And I start getting very unnerved because the things they're praying and saying, I do not understand. They are speaking some weird language. And while they're touching me, I start doing this. And I'm shaking. But I'm really shaking. My legs are shaking. I can't show you. This is too tall. But I was shaking so hard that when the lady finished praying, there was a team of five, she said to me, here's the word of God for you. We've been expecting you. And he gave this word, Isaiah 35, and it's your word. And she said, here, read it. I couldn't hold the paper. She helped me read it. And as I looked at it, I didn't understand the words, but they were in English. Something about the joy of the redeemed. Something about mountains will be lowered, valleys will come up, and there will be harmony, a holy way. And God, your Savior, knows you have trembling legs and are scared and frightened and shaking. And I'm like, do, 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 do. He knows... I got the part about he knows I'm shaking, and he knew I was coming. All right. And what does the last line say? Your God comes to save you. He will come to your rescue. Well, that's it. When I read that, I was totally baffled. And I said to the ladies, what must I do? I couldn't formulate the words or comprehension, but I wanted that. But I couldn't figure it out. Don't worry, dear, they said to me. Just say your prayers and say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I'm sorry. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. And I said, I didn't do anything wrong. Why should I say I'm sorry? And I started getting a little snippy. And then they said, well, say your prayers. Well, wait a minute. I haven't been in, in church since I was seven years old. I mean, thanks be to God, my mother had me baptized as a baby, and the poor kids in town in public school used to get to go to the Catholic school one Wednesday afternoon, so I got CCD, and I did have Holy Communion and Confirmation, but heck, that was a dozen years ago. I don't remember the Our Father, the Hail Mary, I know nothing. So the nice prayer lady says to me, don't worry, just go home and write a Dear Jesus letter. Well, that I could do. So I go home. All the nice people. I'm still kind of shook up. I write a Dear Jesus letter. And as I wrote it, something came to mind. Now, I didn't know scriptures. But as I started writing, I now know a scripture that fits what happened. The darkness, the kingdom of light exploded through the darkness and gave me total freedom. I didn't know I was a prisoner. And I didn't know I was blind. And I didn't know I was deaf. I knew I had colitis, but that's all I know. <laughs> As I started writing, my eyes were opened and memories came back to me. It was very startling and kind of scary. Because as I started writing, I realized why I was so quiet and why I never spoke. I couldn't even speak to myself about the things that were coming down on that page. They were ugly. I had snippets and flashes of memories, so young, memories of being so young, hiding in the closet with the shoes, the only closet in the house, and covering my ears, because I didn't know what the big people were doing, but there was a lot of screaming, crying, yelling, and things that I did understand were frightening, and I was getting confused. Did this really happen, or are these things my grandmother told me happened? I'll give you terrible for example. One of the memories that came back to me shook me up that I was sobbing. I remembered being a little kid and being hung out the third floor tenement window. And I remember my mother screaming, don't drop the baby. I'll give you anything. Don't do it. Here's the money. Take the money. My drug addict father, her Prince Charming, was going to kill me to get what he needed because he was a prisoner of the heroin. But as I was writing, I was so confused. Did it really happen? Or was that my little brother? And I just thought he was going to be killed. I couldn't 
put it together. And it was so many incidents like that. I had these strong feelings, but I didn't have the words or vocabulary at three, five, or even six years old to know what was happening. All I knew, my mother was very brave, and she protected us. But there was tears and accusations and missing TVs and no food money and shame, as all the other family members had mommies and daddies and normal families. And my mother, as a young teen with two little kids, is just trying to make it through until finally one of the violent episodes was so bad that the judge insisted that he go to jail and she part ways. And thank God, we ran for our lives. We really did. By the grace of my mother's strength to get away from something so horrible. But the thing is, I didn't know how it affected me. I thought everything was my fault. But I never knew anything of the grown-up things happening in that terrible drama. I only heard sort of weird things like, my life is ruined. If only I didn't have you if only this, if only that. If, and it was always a litany of, it's kind of your fault, kid. And I took that into my little heart, and I got very angry and very bitter. And things changed. And as we got older, I couldn't believe what I was writing in that dear Jesus letter. Because some of the things were not even that long ago. I'm in my 20s, and I start to remember when I was in my young tween, teens, the Catholic Church took pity on a poor family, and gave us summer camp. Me and my brother got to go to summer camp. And surprise, surprise, when we came home from camp, we didn't live in the same one-bedroom apartment. Mom, my brother, and me now got moved into a new apartment, and I got my own bedroom. And I also got some strange man who my mother introduced as her new husband. Yeah. How do you like to come home for camp from that? And things got even weirder, because now I don't have a sense of boundaries. All I'm told is, be nice to him. This has got to work. And I, as a child, want my mother to be happy, and she desperately deserves to be happy for all she's put up with. But it was very confusing, and I have to be honest with you. Things that happened, I forgot, because I didn't want to remember. Things were said about my body. Touches were made that were wrong. I had to lock my door. I stopped talking. And th sometimes the people who love you and are close to you don't know what's happening. And sometimes when something's happening to you, you don't know what's happening. And you start to feel very ugly and dirty and angry. And as I wrote that letter, the truth came out. But that truth was like chains were breaking, 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 until the final one, I said, I'm sorry, Lord, because in the last memory I had, I don't know how it happened. I can't even say it to myself, let alone you. But at one point, my hands were around someone's neck. I had the tables turned, and I had the power, and I was crushing the life out of another human being and loving it. I wanted to see pain that I had. And I don't know how it stopped. And I don't know how I got away, because I can't remember it. It's like a, a veil. But then, as I was writing that, something happened to my heart, and I started to sob. And this letter took three days to write. And I stayed in the locked bedroom, crying and writing and saying, what happened to me? I'm so ugly. I'm a murderer in my heart. And I have such hatred. And Something changed. In the whisper, I suddenly knew, on that timeline kind of, I was meant to be born. I was not a mistake. I was chosen. The Almighty God chose me to live. It didn't matter how he got me here. He wanted me here. And thanks be to God, my mother never aborted me, whereas many others probably would have been. But no, he wanted me. I was chosen. And that changed everything. And as I lay there, emotionally depleted, a Sunday night, I'm crying, and my whole body's shaking still from that healing prayer all the way through. And in the quiet, I could hear my heartbeat, and I could hear something more. It sounded like a melody, but it sounded like one note, and I'm going to tell you how I heard it, because it's a miracle. 
within every fiber of my being, in my blood, in my bones, in my cells, even in my hair, I heard this one word that sounded like this. Look to the Father. Look to the Son. Look to me. And it sang it over and over, and I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I didn't really know who the Holy Spirit was, but I knew he was talking to me, and that changed everything. I fell peacefully asleep. The next morning when I woke up, I had that appointment for the, call, the checkup with the uh, screening. They do a camera thing. They go inside, and what do they find in there? The doctor says, oh, this is strange. Where's the scar tissue? Where's the bleeding? Where's, this, where's the polyps? Where's the tumors? Oh, we must have made a terrible mistake. You can go home. Yes. 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 Now, faith didn't come instantly by hearing, but those two healings were the beginning of the healings. I was healed because my Jesus, my hero, the Holy Spirit, rescued me from the kingdom of darkness. And what did I do after the doctors? I couldn't wait to go back to those prayer people and tell them, thank you. And when I went back, I was so happy, but so confused. I said to them, listen, I don't know what just happened. And I wasn't going to tell them my private Dear Jesus letter, but something good's going on. They said, stay with us because there's always more. We want to tell you about something called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I said, what's that? Well, God has more for you. He's going to give you gifts to make you holy, to help you grow to know him. And with those gifts, he's going to use you for the upbuilding of his church. And I said, well, I don't go to church. And they said, that's okay. And I said, I don't really know what you're talking about, but I want that. And I want all of that. So I stayed and I learned the baptism in the Holy Spirit classes. And they all, you know, the, the richness of what they told me, I can't say I fully comprehended it, but the more they said, the more I said, gimme, 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 gimme. I want, I want, I want. Well, came the time where the prayer teams were praying. And there was a nice turnout for the prayer teams. It was about five groups. And in my little group, I was the last one being prayed over. And I'm waiting. And I see in the corner people crying. Another one, people raising hands and singing. Another one, I don't know what they're doing. They're kind of resting on the floor. All kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm going, gimme, gimme, gimme. And I get nothing. Zero zilch nada. And I'm very upset. But they say, it's okay, dear, go home. You know, it'll be all right. I have a 45-minute drive home. But as I'm leaving the prayer, I, a young man that goes there named Peter Musso came up to me and said, I have a present for you. Here's a Bible, a beautiful red Bible. I didn't own a Bible. I didn't know how to read the Bible. He put a bookmark in the Gospel of John. He said, you will never forget this day. God has just given you everything, and it will start with understanding his word. You'll see. And I left, and in my car when I was driving home alone, I started to cry angry. How come I didn't get anything? What's wrong with me? And I started feeling those old feelings of, I'm the only kid without a daddy, and, I'm, and maybe I'm not good enough. And, and then as I was having this negative thing come at me, I decided to try something different. I think it was the Holy Spirit going, hey, wake up. Those prayer people, they would be saying, thank you, Jesus, for a parking place. Thank you, Jesus, I broke my leg. <laughs> so, okay, they're weird, but I really like them. I'm going to try that. So I start in the car, first time I ever talked out loud at any of these prayer things, and I said, thank you, Jesus, if you're really there. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I know you're really there. But... And then I started saying, hmm, thank you, Jesus, a little louder. Thank you, Jesus. And all of a sudden, this is what happened. Thank you, Jesus. And my heart exploded with love. I can't carry a tune. I apologize. Sorry, Susan. But <laughs> I tell you, I couldn't stop singing and rejoicing. And that was the beginning of the joy of the Lord as the strength of my salvation. And I never shot up since.
<laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and I have to tell you something. I have three little examples for you of what God did for me. I could give you a million, but I know we got a timeline here. I'm being careful. So first thing I learned um, was that Peter was right. I started to understand the scriptures, maybe a sentence at a time, a little bit, and then people around the prayer group would help me. But one of the scriptures that hit me very strongly was Psalm 34. Look to him that you may be radiant with joy. See, and I understood that scripture because he had told me when he spoke to my whole body when he said, look to me. So I understood, look to him, what that meant. Attitude, orientation, stop thinking bad about myself and start praising God. And I never stopped. And what happened was the more I looked at my Lord and Savior, the less I looked at myself. I didn't feel inadequate anymore. And as I prayed and prayed, it was weird. Wherever I went, I would be praying. At one point, I worked in a retail store. I'd be folding socks, singing in tongues. And people say, what song is that? I would say, oh, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you what he did. And before there were Ubers, I was an Uber person because I used to wind up bringing strangers, complete strangers to the prayer group from all over the place. Sometimes I'd be singing in a bathroom and I'd break out into a song and you know, it has a good echo. So everybody sounds good, right? <laughs> and people would walk into the ladies room and start singing with me and I'd start a prayer meeting. And that's how I, I know. Well, who knew for a girl who couldn't talk and who can't sing? God is so good. But I'll tell you something. And I think Father Tom's gonna like this little miracle of mine. As I grew in this worship and understanding the word and really calling on Jesus for every little thing, one day I went to get a pedicure at a salon. <laughs> now wait, you know, they... For those who don't know, fathers, they put these little toe separators and they give you a paper little thong kind of things where you have to walk, you have to go around the salon. And I was walking around the salon, headed back to my chair from a trip to the ladies' room. And as I'm walking, looking down, there's a body in front of me and she's in the way. So I try to move and she's just still in the way. And I look up and I'm looking into a face of a woman staring down at me, scowling angry, dark. And she says to me, you are afraid of me. Well, before I could say, ooh, or before I could say what? You know how Jesus says never worry about what you are to say when you are accused? The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit I looked up, I'm only five feet, she was like six feet. I looked up at her and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out. She did. She turned right around and walked out. All the ladies in the salon were mouths open. What just happened? I, I just can only tell you what I felt was, how dare you? I am a daughter of the God most high, king of the universe. How dare you speak down to me like that? My father, the heavenly almighty, everlasting, and you think you're going to speak to one of his children like that? The sense of authority in the name of Jesus. I'm not some drug addict's daughter from the corner of the Bronx with a needle sticking out of his arm. I belong to the king of kings. And that's what came out of my heart. So while my father was a slave to his heroin addiction, Jesus freed me. And when the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Amen. The third little incident that happened was as I learned more about the gifts of prophecy, healing, miracles. I've had them all, ladies, because I did ask for them all. I just never get them all at once. It's, it's amazing. But if you say yes to him, I think he means it because I'm going to tell you what happened to me. 
As I was older in my late 20s, I was headed to work, and I realized, oh, I'm out of gas here. How did I get so low? It's not like me to be so uncareful. Nevertheless, I get off the highway, and I go to a gas station I'm not familiar with, a no-name brand, and I pull in, and in those days, they used to service you, come to your window, take your credit card, and do the gas for you. See, I am on that timeline a little older than you. So as the guy's coming up to the attendant to uh, talk to me, all of a sudden I get a heartbeat in my ears. Boom, boom, boom. And my whole body's thrumping with this word. Thus saith the Lord your God. Tell him to get rid of it. What? Tell him to get rid of it. And louder and louder. Thus saith the Lord your God. And now I'm thinking to myself... Okay, in the name of Jesus, um, help me, Lord. And I start praying in, under tongues. Am I losing my mind? This guy's going to think I'm nuts. And then I remember that St. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel because for those who believe, it's the power of salvation. And when the man comes to the window, I turn to him, and I'm shaking, and I say to him, Sir, the Lord your God says to get rid of it. He says, what? I said, the Lord your God says to get rid of it. And he looks at me, and he starts crying. And he starts saying to me, we, we, it was, we were just going to, we, we, we ran up the stairs last night to the, to the cathedral by St. John. We went up the stairs, and when we got up there, we had the stuff with us. And, and as I got to the top, and I was getting by the doors, I felt a force, a push, a something on me, and I got terrified. I felt it. I felt it, he said. It was on me. It pushed me back. I, I ran down the stairs. I went back home, and I threw it in my closet. And I looked at him, and I said, the Lord your God says, get rid of it. I will. I will. I'll get rid of it. I'm, I said, do so. He says, he commands, do it. I get my gas. I'm shaking as I go home. You see the theme. I shake a lot. I'm a nervous nilly. Well, I don't know what happened. And I didn't stop to ask, what did we do in here? I just was grateful and praising God. Thank you, Jesus. You used me for the power of your word. It meant something to that guy. And you commanded him, and he said he's going to do it, and I think his soul's going to be saved. And I'll tell you, I was so curious the next day on the way to work. I pulled back to that gas station. Well, once I calmed down, I had a million questions, right? So I pull up front, and guess what? Big sign, closed, out of business, padlock on the door. I never saw the gas station open again, and I never saw the attendant again. And to this day, I still pray for him because I believe God put me there, and I had the courage by the grace of the Holy Spirit, because you know I'm a big chicken, to say yes I will obey you, and I believe that saved that guy's soul. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Well, those are my three little examples of transformations of the power of God. The more I learned about things, and I mean it, there's never been a time that God has asked me to do something that he hasn't come through. He's amazing. It's a good thing he's not counting on me because, you know, I'm not that great, but he sure is. Amen. After a few years of hanging out with these prayer warriors, reading the Bible, learning, getting Bible classes, and all kinds of wonderful opportunities, I finally figured it out. Oh, God, I should have thought of this sooner. I must have a vocation. I should become a nun. And I... <laughs> really good at this and he needs me and I don't mind I love him so much I want to do anything for him so okay God no problem find me the nuns and he does I find a beautiful order parish visitors of Immaculate Heart of Mary in the Bronx and they go door to door and they tell people about the joy of our salvation and so that I hang out with them until one day as I'm uh, ready to discern and sign off and all that, it occurs to me the strangest thought. I'm actually on a bus coming back from the mother house, from the country, back to the Bronx, and what do I remember? I start thinking of Peter Mousseau. And for some strange reason, I know him like seven years now, I said, he'll be so sad if I do this. It was such a weird thought that... <laughs> 
I went to work the next day. I went to the bank, and I had a boss who was a good Catholic lady, and I confided in her a lot of stuff. And I said, isn't that weird? I would think of him, and it really upset me. And um, she said, well, I'm going to say a rosary. Oh, she's a cool Catholic. She knows how to do the rosary. I haven't learned that one yet. So... She tells me, you just do what our blessed mother would do. And I said, what's that? Well, she would say yes. Say yes to what? Well, whatever God tells you. So I said, oh, okay. All right. I got it. I start praying. And there's a mission in town that night. So I go to a different church. I go to the mission. And I'm sitting there. I'm saying, Lord, you know you made me. You know what I'm good at. You know what I'm good for. You choose. I give you my free will. I can't be bothered with it. Choose what I should do. And the simple choice is either I become a nun or I marry Peter Mousseau. <laughs> well, that might be a problem because he never asked me out on a date, right? <laughs> but as I was sitting there, one of these holy people came up, and I'm way in the back, and I'm kind of short, so I'm trying to lean out to see what they're saying. We have a prophetic word. Okay, everybody gets quiet and listens, so I'm like, I'm distracted. Lord, I'm telling you to choose me. Tell me what to do. And I'll say yes. And the person gets up to the podium and says, I have a word here for someone. The Lord says, I choose you to go two by two and go and serve me and follow me two by two. The word of God went right into my heart. The next night, I saw Peter at prayer group and he asked me out on a date. A year later, we were married and became lamp missionaries, lay apostolate ministries to the poor, serving the homeless, the, the po those in the South Bronx, materially very poor. And there we were, two by two, serving our Lord God. Yes. And just when you think, oh, how much different could life be? Everything's good, right? Well, I'm going to tell you three things the Lord did because God is always refreshing and renewing and restoring and healing and doing new things. And I didn't know that. But once I got married, I found that I needed more healing. I thought it was good, but early in the marriage, it turns out that Jesus revealed through our marriage that I had a fear of betrayal. And I used to have suspicious thoughts all the time about my good husband, my missionary husband. Uh, we worked regular jobs as well as the LAMP missionaries who were very busy. We were very happy, going to prayer groups, doing stuff, stuff for the Lord. And all of a sudden, I was always a little worried. When's this? What, this can't be. Like, how good could this be? What's going to happen? And I realized that's the tape I lived when I was a little kid, right? Prince Charming. Hmm, when's he going to turn into Judas? And I started getting very worried. And then the Lord healed me. How did he do it? Years, time, talking, loving, being honest. And I started to realize it's so unfair what I'm doing. We're two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Both of us love our Lord, and both of us are children of God. I asked the Lord, heal me, Lord. Take away. You're my hero, Lord. You're the rock of my salvation. Not Peter. That's not fair to him. I can't expect a human being to read my mind, know everything I want. And you, I don't know if you women can relate to that. But sometimes we make a man a hero, and then we're mad because he can't be. <laughs> Jesus is my firm hope. And once I got that straight, the marriage got really a lot better, a stronger, and always I thanks be to God, focused on Jesus. And the next thing in the growing in the marriage, I have to tell you that I did have anxiety about abandonment, abandonment, again, featuring from my young childhood. And how did I find out that this was kind of in me was very strange. Lamp ministry sent us out to a clowning ministry where we would dress up, white face, pretty things, clown outfit, the whole deal. And we were sent to St. Joseph's School for the Deaf Children. And Peter and I were driving up there to teach them the story about the good shepherd and the little lost lamb. 
and we were going to play in pantomime. We pull up in front of this big old building that looks kind of like a castle. And as we go to get out of the car, I look at the building and I have a frozen flashback of a memory so powerful with my hand on the door handle of the car, I couldn't open the door. I was stuck in the seat because what did I remember? Sitting in the back seat with my little brother, the two of us, him crying his little heart out, no, don't, no, don't, and me sitting there seething, saying, you're lying, it's not true. I am not the ruination. I don't always just think of myself. I'm not so selfish. I'm not so bad. You can do that to me. You're going to throw me in that orphanage. You're going to get rid of us and throw us in that orphanage. Do it. But my brother was begging, don't do it. Don't put us in the orphanage. I couldn't get out of the car because I was stuck. Peter came over, and he's pulling me out of the car. Come on, come on. The kids need us. Let's go. Let's go. And I forced myself, and I'm saying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Have I just had, like, a PTSD or something? What's going on? I get up there, and I'm playing with the children, and they're so sweet, and they make sounds. But it's, and what happened? I'm crawling on the floor, playing the little lost one little sheep in the 99 and we're talking about God's love, and this, the translator for the deaf is here helping us. And while I'm crawling on the floor as the little clown, little lamb, I realize, oh, how much I love these children. Oh, how much I'm that little lamb, and my good shepherd found me. And then a bigger miracle happened. My heart stretched, and Jesus gave me his heart for my teenage parents. Oh, how scared they were. Oh, how frightened they didn't know what to do. Big problems, no faith, no Jesus. Everything was overwhelming to them. They probably thought if they scared us and we would behave better. And the mean and horrible, hurtful things they said, they didn't know any better. It's how they felt in here to themselves. And I started praying and praying for my family and praying. And I loved my parents for the first time ever. And I lost all the bitterness and the hatred in a new, beautiful way. And for the first time, I started praying for my heroine father, who I by now knew was dead. I started praying for his soul in purgatory. And I said, well, I'll never know. Did you really run from the cops and get killed that way? Or did you kick the drugs and you were maybe clean and just died because your body gave out? It, I won't ever know. And I'll never stop praying for his soul. And I loved my mother so much because I thought how brave this woman is, everything she had to do. And all the bitterness and everything about abandonment left me. And this was a major healing. And it continued because my heart kept growing and Jesus' heart became in me. So I didn't love like I love because I'm not that nice. And then I got tested in marriage. There was a very, very serious accident, and Peter um, had a brain injury, a head injury, very severe trauma. And all around me, my fears of abandonment, rejection, betrayal, and now loss. Okay, now I'm facing it head on. And people around me are saying, let's get the coffin. And I'm, I, I, finally I just said, mother-in-law, I love you, but stop. Everyone... Whether we live or die, we live in Christ, we die in Christ. Peter does not want to die. I don't want him to die. But if that's God's choice for him, guess what I know? I know that though the hills may be shaken and turned to dust, he will never leave me. He, the Father, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit will never forsake me. He will be with me through the end of time. I reject all fear. Whether Peter lives or dies... We will be together eternally, and my Lord and my God will never leave me nor forsake me. And I meant it, and this was the gift of my life, to have such confidence. Oh, and that was a healing. And if, if you've ever experienced that, fear goes out the window. I didn't have any fear after that. Perfect love truly does cast out fear. My eyes and my focus and my heart was on Jesus Christ. And I kept saying, thy will and thy way. Thy will in thy way. And fortunately for us, it took a long time. But the injury went away, and Peter went on to uh, beautiful things with his career, and I went on to a new job, and I found myself working in a call center in a big company. You know, when there's 300 people in a room like us, but you'd all be on a phone answering and talking to someone. 
Yeah. And it was really interesting and fun. And I started prayer groups, even though it was kind of not allowed in the corporate world. <laughs> and I'd have the Christian Baptist lady saying things to me like, where do you worship? Catholic. I'm Catholic. Oh, that can't be. And they'd fight with me. And then it just kept going. I had to learn my faith because I had to answer all these questions. And I was like, let me look that up in the catechism and get back to you. <laughs> And it was good. It was beautiful. And as we went on towards, I'm um, in my 30s now. I'm married over seven years, and things are good. Until one night, 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up, and I say, oh, you know that feeling like, did I leave the gas on? Did I lock the front door? Is the, it, oh, I know it is. Children. I have no children. <laughs> I must have forgot that. We've been so busy. I mean, really busy. There, there was floods. There was a hurricane. We lost the roof. The house almost collapsed. We just kept going and praising God. And so I've kind of forgot. And then I started getting worried. I pull out my Bible in the middle of the night, and I open it up. Bible, bingo. And it says, the victory is the Lord's. Thus saith the Lord, the victory is mine. I write it in my pencil, in my Bible. I said, good, gotcha, Lord. I'm going to have a daughter. Her name is going to be Victoria. Thank you. <laughs> but guess what? I woke up the next day figuring, oh, all is good, except surprise, surprise, surprise. Anybody know Goomer Pile? Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> my life turned into an infertility nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the beautiful romance turned into surgeries, medicines, doctors, other doctors, new doctors, and lots and lots of tears and weeping and little losses that were dreams of people that I was going to love and was ready for, and they just didn't work out, and on and on and on. And after a few years of this, I was exhausted, and the prayer people said to me, Dear, we have to give you a gift. You know that Bible story where the friends have a paraplegic friend and they carry him on a mat and they bring him up to the roof and they cut the hole in the roof and put him down in front of Jesus? We're going to do that for you. You don't pray about infertility anymore. We think you're getting very overwrought. And we're going to pray and fast for you no matter how long it takes. And they do. And I move on with my life confident that they're praying so I can listen to God. And I kept saying, okay, God, I have no why me? No way. I just want to know what you want me to do and make me able to do it. And so three things happened to me. First, while I was infertile, I met a young woman who came for help to the prayer people. She was pregnant. She was homeless. Her boyfriend was an alcoholic. And she told me I'm going to abort that baby. And I said to her, please don't abort the baby. I'll help you. We did hospital visits together, food, clothes. The prayer group people were so generous. But in the end, she said to me, it's too much. I can't do it. I'm going to abort this baby. I said, wait. I said, wait. And I'm going to be honest with you, friends. I didn't really like her. She wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> but I knew God wouldn't want me to let a baby be killed. And I said, huh, if you can learn to love a puppy, I'll learn to love this baby. <laughs> so I said to her, give me the baby and you can stay in her life. And that was, you can stay in her, her or his life and, uh, you know, we'll make it work. God will give us grace. He'll find a way. And I just know God's going to change my love and make it bigger to encompass this. But she says to me, you? <laughs> I wouldn't let you adopt my baby if you were the last person on earth. You got nothing. You're going nowhere. And you're a nobody. She left the state and I never saw her again. Now, I've condensed the experience, but I can tell you that it was so painful and so emotionally fraught with so many parts that after that, Peter and I said, no, we weren't going to adopt. And then I said, okay, Lord, I'm not going to be a mother. Thy will and thy way. And I accepted that. And I said, I'm not happy about it, but uh, you'll give me something new. And he did. 
as I was working in that call center, worked my way up into management and learned a few things. And before I knew it, I'm in management in a big corporation. And I'm doing really well. I'm doing this for a few years, and I'm still doing the prayer group, and no one's reported me to the police yet. <laughs> and while I'm doing all this um, for a few years, I'm pretty successful at it, but I'm like mid-level, and then they come to me and say, okay, now if you want to run that call center someday, 24 by seven job, and then we're gonna send you to Europe, and then we're gonna do this, I'm like, oh wow, this must be what God wants. But there's a test. You have to take the test, and you have to pass the test, and if you don't pass the test, you're demoted back to taking calls, and you're out on the desk with the, everybody else. It was kind of a scary thing. Uh, I failed the test. I took it, but I failed. I did not have the qualifications, the education. I did not understand the logistical, statistical, analytical, and on and on and on. And I, I was sad. And the people said to me, uh, well, you know what? We, we let you go to school for a year. We're going to send you for training, and we'll give you a second chance next year. I said, okay. And I said, Lord, I thought I knew what I would be, but I don't have a title. And maybe titles are not important because the only title I need is that I'm the daughter of the king. And I went to school while I worked full time every Saturday, 10 hours, and every Sunday I went for two separate uh, coach classes. So I was there another 10 hours. And I tried very hard and I was shaking with exhaustion trying to learn all this, learn all this stuff. And in the same time, I met a woman in the street walking her dog, and we're talking, and she says, oh, something terrible has happened to me. I said, yeah, I could relate. What happened? <laughs> My daughter, a guy in the neighborhood turned her on to drugs. She's a drug addict, and now she's a prostitute, and now she's pregnant, and the police have arrested her, and it goes on and on and on. And now I'm saying, oh, Lord, what gifts? What can I do? I'm praying. I'm saying, gee, and I can't think of anything. I'm so tired, and I need Jesus because this is too big for me. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And I'm thinking, what can I tell her? I, I'm still trusting for my own father's soul and salvation. I have faith. My faith, my hope, and my love are still strong, but now I don't know what to do. And so I grab her hand, and I say, can I pray with you? And I couldn't get a prayer out, so I went right to the only prayer that works when I'm really, really needing help, but the same one I did the first time. Dear Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she starts saying with me, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And as we're saying it together, it felt like we were at the foot of the cross. And this non-Catholic woman, I said to her, oh, Jesus is sending us help. And she says, who? Who is he sending? His mother. She's with us. I can feel her. Do you feel her? Yes, I feel her, this Baptist woman says. I feel Mary. Yes, she's with us, and I will stand with you at the foot of the cross with Mary and all the holy women, and we will never stop praying, and we'll keep looking at Jesus, and we're going to wait for the power of the resurrection, and it's going to come. I just don't know when it's going to come, but we'll never give up. And there, my faith, my hope, and my love were bigger than my infertility. Because my God is bigger than anything that happens to me or any label I get stuck with or any person that has a big, big problem that I can't figure out. And of all the gifts I got, he sent me his mother. What a gift. What a gift. Well, I'm going to start to tell you now that in that exhaustion a year later, I did take the test. I didn't have high hopes for that, but Jesus is my hope. Okay? So I said, whatever happens, Lord, thy will and thy way. I trust you, Jesus. And I meant it. So there's some things you say and some things you just live. Now I really lived it, thy will and thy way. So Peter and I are pooped out. We go out to the Caribbean. Where's Bernadette? We were out by St. Thomas. There you are. And we were floating in the ocean as I'm floating on the raft out there. And I think we saw someone in a bikini floating on one of these videos, but that wasn't me. <laughs> I'm floating there, and I'm saying, oh, I wonder if this is what it felt like when Jesus was baptized and the Father God said, I'm so delighted in you. And as I'm just laying there, ah, bubble, 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 in my heart I hear, the victory is mine, thus saith the Lord. It was the Feast of the Assumption, and nine months later, Victoria Rose Musso was born.
when Victoria was a little girl. I was so blessed because I met Magnificat women through Angela and Margie and others. And I heard things that I couldn't believe it. There's always more with God. He gave me more. He taught me how to be a mother by one thing I heard here at one of the Magnificats, actually, in New Orleans. Dr. Carol Raza probably doesn't know she said this to me. But she said to me when I went on one of these conferences while Victoria was really young, she said to me, Monique, never speak your worst fear. Always speak your highest hope. Wow. I went home and became the mother like Mary, mother of God. My heart changed. I let Mary be the mother that I didn't know how to be. And I'm so grateful to God because Victoria's sitting here at the table. She's a Magnificat woman in Florida. And of course, she's sitting next to her godmother, who's the same woman who said, dear, I've been fasting and praying. God told me you were coming here. (laughs) And then when I went to the next conference, I got another gift from God. I really wanted more because I'm that kind of greedy girl from the Bronx. Patty Mansfield started saying how we have to spiritually adopt Mary's sons. And it went right into my heart. She said this term, Maria in persona, and you're going to love like the children of her heart. And I was like, I'm in. Assign me someone to love. I'm going to tell you, it's over well over a dozen years later. I have 20 sons that she assigned me by name. I pray for them every day. And all I do really is ask what she wants. And they don't always know. Sometimes I bring them visually in prayer in front of her. We sit for an hour. She puts her hands on their face. She kisses their forehead and we bless them. Mary, mother of God, gave me the children of my heart. And I'm so grateful to Magnificat. My mother became a Magnificat woman. Uh, Yes. And all the graces. Perfect timing, right? And all the graces of Magnificat I have to tell you, they're not over. I found out when I came back from that Caribbean trip that I passed the test. Yeah, yeah. Wow, by the skin of my chinny chin chin. I went on to have a 32-year career in corporate America. I never did the same job for more than two years. I refused to take the big call center job because I was a full-time mom. And they gave me a job that they said, we want you to do this. What's your terms? I said, my terms are I never want to miss a school play. And I never did. Oh, I forgot to tell you, six years ago, that woman who I really loved with God's love but didn't like too much, the pregnant woman, she called me and she said, I just think you should know. The boyfriend gave up alcohol and drugs. We found Jesus. I didn't have the abortion. My daughter's the love of my life. Click. make this stuff up (laughs) after 32 years and of course anyone who works in corporate America knows a lot of uncertainty am I going to be fired am I going to be laid off is it going to be a reduction well I went through 10 of those where I was always reshifted and focused and sent to somewhere else and teams of people and I was like getting a little nervous about it I say well Lord um, what do you want me to do well when the time came I retired And I wasn't thrown out. And on the last day in 2019, after a nice, fun career, I went to church to say thank you to the Lord. And while I was in there, the pastor of the church said to me, I heard you retired, and I'd love for you to come and help me run the deanery and be my assistant, my uh, secretary. And and I was like, oh, you're kidding. He goes, no, I mean it. I said, yes, yes, God is so surprising, right? So here I am now since 2019 working for the Archdiocese of New York for a wonderful holy priest. And the surprises never stop. 
God is so amazing. Just when you think you haven't figured out. <laughs> yeah, first mistake. Jackie, you're right. First mistake. So COVID hits, all these different things. And here I am in this little corner of the Bronx, a nobody. And by God's grace, Cardinal Dolan comes to see the priest. And um, while he goes in with the priest, he's going to actually pray and bless him. Cardinal Dolan's priest is sick, and, he won't, and he's so nurturing. You know, I don't know if you know who Father Con- Cardinal Dolan is. He's a very big man, kind of loud and boisterous, you know. <laughs> And while he was praying with my Monsignor for his health, and I was sitting in my little cubicle office saying, okay, Lord, tell me what to do. If you, if you want me to tell him about Magnifica, just make it clear because I don't want to do the right, wrong thing here. Is it, you know, I'm trying to be, oh, tell me, Lord, what should I do? What should I do? And as I'm sitting there saying, you know I'm not afraid to speak your truth. Just make it clear what I should do. And I hear him walking down the hallway, and they're leaving, and the, the cardinal, and Monsignor stops and says, oh, Cardinal, did I tell you Monique is trying to bring a Magnificat here? (laughs) So I jump up and I say, and he says to me in this big voice, Magnificat, I love Magnificat. (laughs) And so we're we're now a chapter in formation. And I want to say, of all the things that God has ever done for me, there's so many more I could tell you. What I learned most, I think, is to say that it doesn't matter where I came from. It matters that he called me into his existence. It doesn't matter what job I have, what title I have, what qualifications I have. Whenever I follow Our Lady's lead and say, yes, give me the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me obey you and follow me follow you with my whole heart. I have this crazy idea that um, he's just never going to let me down. And it's not always going to go my way. And I learned to say, thy will and thy way. And he makes all things new. Amen. Amen. Now, while you're all standing, remember I told you one of the first things I said to the ladies who told me to repent Ask God forgiveness. Tell him you want him. I didn't understand that too good. But sometimes I think we don't have to understand. We need the right heart. But I'm going to give you a moment. If you'd like to be like me, I don't think big. That's why I didn't pass the test too easily. (laughs) But I do think that being little has a great value. And if you feel like me, when I don't know what I need, but I know I need the Lord, I think like what Susan said. I throw my hands up and I say, Abba, Father, Jesus, help me. Send your Holy Spirit. Remake me. Make me new. Do for me what I don't know I need. Would you like to pray like that? Okay. Let's maybe say it together. Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. If there's anything in me that you are not pleased with, please forgive me. Take it away. Give me healing. And fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Blessed Mother, I trust that you will be my mother. And that you will hold my hand hand. as I offer my heart and my soul to the Holy Spirit. And I believe believe that you will do wonderful things in me. me. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, 
go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.